It's incredible. Like, like the ministry of reconciliation that I talked about already that's given to us. It's an incredible thing that we have this opportunity to take a person lost and point them back home. That's why we need to spend time interacting with sinners. and peace to everyone. Um, always so neat to be gathered up here in suffering. So the message that I have today came from a recent reading that I did through the book of Luke. And I was intentionally trying to ask the question, who's Jesus? What is he like? And it was just amazing. Like I fell in love with Jesus again. The person of Jesus is so compelling and as he came to the cross and willingly died on the cross, it just, it was amazing. Um, there's one thing that, that stuck out to me about his life, and I don't think it's it stuck out to me like it did this time before, um, but it's the way that he was willing to interact with sinners and with the outcasts in society. So the message is entitled, Why We Must Intentionally Interact with Sinners. So I'm going to explain this. I know there's probably a lot of questions that come up when I say that. First of all, some introductory comments. Um, also, starting in Matthew, and something stuck out to me that, that I hadn't seen before. Jesus is calling the, these fishermen, disciples, Peter and Andrew, and James and John, in two different occasions. They were both fishing. What I noticed, and, and of course he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But I noticed that Simon and Andrew were casting their nets when Jesus called them. And James and John were mending the nets when Jesus called them. I don't know how much to make of this, but I think both both sets of brothers were, were working um, to, to bring in fish and were called to bring in people. But some of them were out casting, and some were back mending and repairing the holes in that net. So I think you need both in the church. The church needs both the casters and the menders of the net. Tell me if you think that's crazy, but um, I, I was struck by that. You won't catch fish if you don't cast. Neither will you catch fish if there's big holes in the net. So all disciples of Jesus, as we follow him, are called to work together to bring others in. One quick note, so I talk a lot about evangelism, for those who know me, and it's been a, a passion of mine ever since I became serious about God. And there's always this tension a bit of like inward focus versus outward focus in the church. And can you get these out of balance? And I think I think you can. Um, but the question like is the church for, for us? Or is it for them? Um, I actually don't like that question really well. I think it's a bit um, human-centered, but the church is for God. And I think we do need to be invested, all of us invested in relationships within the church and in relationships outside the church. But the church is for God. And the verse that I want to point to is 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are called to be a priesthood. Now, I think priests stand before God on behalf of men, and they also stand before men on behalf of God. So we are called to be this royal priesthood, and we're representing God, kind of a family of ambassadors, as it says in Corinthians. And this this place is like an embassy, and we're given this amazing ministry of reconciliation. And we're called to be those priests who are reconciling the world, have a role in reconciling the world to God. So just imagining ourselves as this royal priesthood. And it's really an amazing, like, it's an amazing thing that we get to represent God to the world and have a role in reconciling people to their God. It's just an amazing, amazing grace that God has given to us. We aren't worthy of that. Leslie Newbigin wrote that the congregation has to be a place where its members are trained, supported, and nourished in the exercise of their parts of their priestly ministry in the world. And I love this vision of the church where it's a place where we're being trained, supported, equipped for our priestly ministry to the world in the different roles and spiritual gifts that God has given us, of course. This is what we are here. The the gifts of um, the Apest gifts are for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's kind of this vision of church that I want to present as I start on this question. So, why we must intentionally interact with sinners or unbelievers? First of all, I want to throw out a caution and say what I don't mean here um, to kind of bring this tension in. I thought about using the words why we need to hang out with sinners and I didn't really like that I don't think it it doesn't doesn't say what I mean I think it says what I don't mean um, it, it's I certainly don't mean that we're trying to fit in with them and just be part of that crowd certainly not what I mean Psalm 1 verses 1 to 2 say blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So I think we need to be careful. Don't admire wicked people or sinners or look to them for counsel or advice. Don't covet the the life of, of sinners. And for sure, don't participate in their folly. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So there's this principle that you become like the people that you spend a lot of time with. If I spend a lot of time with Joe, he's going to wear off on me. And I spend a lot of time with Gina, and she wears off on me. So the people that we spend time with, they're going to wear off on us. And I think we need to be very careful and, and think about that in our associations. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So again, unhealthy associations will wear off on your character. 
And it, it may take you back to a place of sin in your life that you were struggling with before. Um, or it might just wear off on you and you might start to put on their character. There, there is this real danger that we should be very aware of that regular interaction with ungodly people can be a drain on our spiritual life and on our own striving for godliness to continue that. So I'm bringing in this tension here. I think that the key is found in Ephesians 5.11 where it says, take, and this is in the context of Paul encouraging the Ephesians to don't, don't live like you used to. You're transformed people. Don't do all this stuff. And then he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So obviously don't participate even one bit, one iota in the, the ungodly actions or deeds of sinners. I think, too, don't, don't even act like these things are funny. I know sometimes we, we tend to like laugh at a bad joke or like don't even do that. We should be appalled at, at darkness and corruption and sin when we see it. Instead of participating, we should bring the light into the situation and expose these sinful actions to be what they are. So that's what we're doing there in this situation. Why are we in this dark place? We're here to expose the sin for what it is. It's destructive. It's going to bring death. It's unfruitful. So I, I say that you can't expose darkness if you're hiding your light. There's a lot of darkness in the world, and we are called not to participate in it, but to expose it. And we can't do that if we're hiding away somewhere. Let your light so shine before man that you see your good works and glorify your Father. You have to engage it. So now, what I do mean, and basically this is on the premise that we want to be like Jesus, and we want to imitate him in what he did. What he did, he was that perfect human, and he showed us a path, a way to, to live, a way to engage with people. And the first, the first point is from, we can turn to this now, uh, Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read 31 to 35. The first point is that Jesus spent time socializing with sinners. Luke 7, 31 to 35. Jesus now on a, on a little bit of a rant here. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I want to point out that this is actually a false accusation against Jesus. So we need to be careful with this. I think a lot of people, they like to call Jesus a friend of sinners and say that again and again until they feel fine being a sinner and trying to follow Jesus. I don't think that's... You shouldn't take that from this text. This is a false 
Jesus was not a glutton or a drunkard. John the Baptist was did not have a demon. So these were false accusations. Um, but Jesus did come eating and drinking, and he did interact with tax collectors and sinners. So that's that's kind of the point that I'm taking. Um, he spent time socializing with them, and he got near them in their context, and also that he got flack for it. So here, here they're saying they're accusing him, bringing accusations against him. So if we are to imitate Jesus in this way and many other ways, we need to, we must be ready to receive criticism uh, from other people. Don't try to fulfill the expectations of other people. Just follow Jesus and do what he did. Because like that, I love how he said, we, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. People had these expectations of what Jesus should be like, and he didn't meet those expectations, and so they started accusing him. And if we follow Jesus, I think we could we can expect the same thing. Use wisdom. It's an interesting verse, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I don't claim to know exactly what that means, but I think... We need to use wisdom and interact with sinners and outcasts like Jesus did. And following Jesus in his ways, following his wisdom, may not may be ridiculed. It, it may not look right at the moment, but it will be vindicated. It will be justified. Um, it will be shown to be right at some point. All right, the second point is from now Luke chapter 5. Verses 27 to 32. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5. And here we get to the purpose. Why did Jesus interact with sinners? And it's because this was his mission. So Luke chapter 5, 27. This is when he called Matthew, or Levi, to follow him. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in this house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here Jesus accepted an invitation to a place that was just full of tax collectors, these outcasts, these sinners. And he was eating, drinking with them. So why did Jesus interact with sinners? He was a physician. He came to heal people. And doctors spend time around sick people all day long. That's that's why they're there. And I think, I'm sure it can get wearing, but this is their purpose. Jesus' mission, secondly, was not to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. The people, Jesus spent time, I think, with people who knew they were sinners. He had these rants against these, these people who believed they were righteous. There's, there's no way to call a person who's convinced they're righteous to repentance. So he engaged, I think Jesus engaged with people who understood they were sinners. It was strategic. Today, I think, I think we're called to carry on Jesus' work. 
We, we aren't the physician. Jesus is the physician. And yet he has now given us the responsibility to carry on his work. And we point people to the physician. So we too need to spend time with sick people and point them to the physician. Imitate the methods of Jesus. All right. Now we'll go to another passage where Jesus was accused of this. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and I would love to read the whole chapter, but probably just read 1 through 10, and maybe skip to the last verse. These are familiar stories. Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And I will point out one thing. They, it seems like often they, they did come to him. They were drawn to Jesus. So they were drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has one, he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me! For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I really just want to read the whole chapter. I'm going to keep going. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want, in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, for I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he asked his, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all is my, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and is alive. He was lost, and is found. Mama is really touched by that story and I think first of all first thing I see is myself as as this lost son who spent time in sin and was far away from home and coming home the father the father receiving me despite my sinfulness despite all the, the things I had done to defile myself and yet he's received me back with this joy. And he's cel- there's a celebration that's happening because I was found. And I think it's good for us to, to remember that, that we all once were lost. We all once were sinners. And we have received this amazing mercy. Father, heart of God, <clears throat> Jesus came to seek the lost and bring them home. The father, we see the father's heart here and how he, he longed to see the lost sinner come home. And Jesus adopted that same attitude towards people. That's why he was okay receiving these sinners, eating with these sinners. He longed to see them, the lost ones, be found. And I think we too now need to follow in the steps of Jesus and have the same heart that when we see lost people, our response, our first response is compassion. Compassion. They're wandering like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus said to pray that the Lord of harvest would send out left, would send out laborers into the harvest, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. It was, it was compassion. And I think we need to recognize that that sinners are not our enemy. Sinners are not our enemy. That, that I think, would be the selfish um, perspective of the older brother. Sinners are not our enemy. Our enemy is, it's a big subject, but our enemy is the ruler of this world the principalities and the powers that that work in these people, these lost people. That is what we're fighting against, spiritual powers in heavenly places, not against people. We have this incredible calling and to 
seek out lost people and to point them back home. This is the way home. Jesus, he is the way home. It's incredible. Like, like the ministry of reconciliation that I talked about already that's given to us. It's an incredible thing that we have this opportunity to take a person lost and point them back home. That's why we need to spend time interacting with sinners. And the joy that, that's set before us. So this is a lot. The first two parables have a lot to do with the celebration that happens about a sinner repenting. And I think, I don't know, like, when the last time was that, that someone repented and we just threw a party and had a big celebration. I think too often we, we get kind of like, oh, you know, um, we don't like to hear about the sin and, and what happened to this person. But isn't it incredible when a person has turned, has repented of that sin, we should be celebrating. We should be gathering our friends around for, for a celebration, for a party. And I think we need to see that. When we, when we see lost people and we're interacting with them, we should have this joy, this vision for them, of them coming home, this vision of them repenting, this vision of the celebration that could happen if only we could direct them home and they would, they would come home to their father. So let's have this, this mind in us. Fourth point is that, yeah, Jesus interacted with sinners and he pointed them home. But he also challenged sinners with his actions and with his stories and parables that he said. So he wasn't just interacting with them and trying to fit in and trying to make them feel good about themselves. He said things that really challenged them. So I think we need to imitate him in that as well. And just backing up a little bit to Luke 14, I think this is a great example of this. So I'm going to read 1 through 11 of Luke 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. And he's at this feast. And this is where this, this first thing occurred. He did this healing on the Sabbath that kind of made them angry. Now he's, he's at this feast, and he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. When, he says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And then a proverb, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and you humbles himself will be exalted. And if we can just imagine where this is happening, like I envision him, they're sitting down to dine at this this place, and I believe that these were these were there were sinners around him. Obviously, they were they were prideful. Um, but he, he sits down. He noticed them taking their seats, and then he just he just says this like, 
This is not a way to make people happy with you. This is basically rebuking them for what you're doing. Like you sat there. Now think about this, you know, this scenario. And and just remember that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he, he brought in this, this teaching into the moment. And you see Jesus doing that again and again. He says awkward and provocative things. He doesn't try to make people feel good about him and what he's what he's doing necessarily. People weren't drawn to him because he made them feel good or because he was like them. People were drawn to him because he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. That's why they came. And I believe that we can have that same effect on people if we speak the words of Jesus into their life. If we know these parables and these teachings of Jesus and we're in these situations and we see something happening and we're bold enough to say something, we think that it might make somebody mad. But if we're speaking the words of Jesus, they'll be with authority and, and people will be drawn to that, those who are, who are seeking God. And then there's, all, there's just so many scenarios. If you read through and see how Jesus brings these stories, these parables into way of life situations. The Samaritan woman, so he, he, he intentionally put himself in this situation where he knew that there's, this woman would be coming and this Samaritan woman, the sinner, and he was going to be alone with her to have the conversation. Not exactly what everybody thought was socially right. And I'm sure you could get a lot of flack for that, but he did that. And then he, he brings in this thing about living water and he's sitting at a well and he's like bringing analogies in and kind of making connections to things around him. And it's very, it's, it's very natural, very natural evangelism. And I've really been thinking about how can we do this? How can I, just in my regular conversations, bring in a teaching of Jesus or a story or, or hey, have you ever thought about this parable? And I think that would be imitating Jesus. So I'm going to call us to do that. All right, so how do we intentionally interact with sinners for the purpose of directing a lost home? I think probably one of the most accessible and like our starting point should be our neighbors. And like, what about the people that live right around us? And I've been convicted of this recently and I sat down and made a little diagram of our apartment floor and how many of these people do we know and what do we know about them? And I know a few, we know a few of them, but there's a whole bunch of people living right here that I know nothing about. And this should be our starting point, I think. So there, there's a way of thinking about this um, where if you, you would just do this simple exercise as, as a practical tool and you would make a little chart like this and this is your home right here. And you would basically, there are eight, eight blocks here where you can put as many as you want. But the neighbors that live physically close to you, right around you. If you would write this, how many of these boxes could you fill out? Does so-and-so live here? And then, you know, what do I know about them? They're... You know, they're divorced or they're struggling with this or um, they have a dog or, yeah, just how much do you actually know about the people that live right around you? I think this should be our starting point for interacting um, with people with unbelievers, with sinners. Uh, so what you can do is you can fill it out and be like, you'll probably be like, oh, this is bad, um, if you're anything like me. And then you can start intentionally trying to fill this out. Go meet a neighbor with a plate of cookies and just start a relationship. 
Start a conversation with them. Fill it out. See if you can get this all figured out, filled out, and you can do it in a group or be accountable with it. That's one idea. <clears throat> there, there's, there's a lot of other things you can do if, if you not, if you, if you don't spend a lot of time right now with sinners. Um, you can, can uh, start volunteering somewhere, like Bread of Life or some food pantry, or join some community club, some sports club you're interested in. Um, things that you might not necessarily just love to do, but you're doing it intentionally so that you can build some relationships with people. And, and there's another tool here that that I'll show. And this is it's called Conversation Quadrants, and I haven't used it a lot, but I want to kind of present it here and start using it. Where if you would weekly take a little um, quadrant, like four quadrants like this, and write down, these are conversations. So casual conversations are basically just, hey, how are you? My name is so-and-so, and just kind of an introduction. And the next level of conversation would be meaningful. So you start talking about, you know, the pain in the person's life or something that, that they're going through, that they're struggling with. Um, the conversations got a bit deeper. They got to a meaningful level. And then your conversations might get spiritual, where you talk about some questions like, is God real? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of pain and suffering? And, and try to bring in more spiritual topics. It gets deeper. And trust is being built as you're going through this process. And then discovery is kind of a, an interesting word. But basically, this what, what this means is that you're starting to bring in these, these parables, these teachings of Jesus to their life and start to actually challenging them on issues through Scripture. And, and they're starting to see that they definitely know you're a Christian at this point. They definitely know that you're, you're seeking to teach them about God within the conversations. And then from there, it might go to Bible study or something together with them. So you can kind of think about these people. And if you think back in your week and like all the people you talk to, unbelievers maybe in particular, and you can write their names in different spaces here as to how the, like where that conversation was. And then you can pray and seek out about how you can take that conversation next time to the next level and just be intentional about, about these interactions. So we're not just hanging out with sinners. That's, that's not the end in itself. We're intentionally trying to take these, take them through a process to help them discover God. So those are some ideas. And, and finally, yeah, just some practical things to consider as I close up here. What I'm trying to say is, I think sometimes we can sit in our Christian ivory towers and just hang out with only Christian people week after week. And we do want to do that. Um, hopefully you understand me well, that we do want to do that, but we, we also do need to step out of these ivory towers um, and, and get out and get to know more people if we are to fulfill our priestly role of representing God to the world around us. We, we must. There's no other way to penetrate the darkness with the light of God if we are hiding our light. We've, we've got to get out. So you can ask questions like, where, you know, be intentional. Where are we going to live? Um, be intentional about that. Where, where am I going to take my children to the park? Or where do I shop? What kind of job am I going to get? How can I make time for more conversations with my customers? my business, 
Um, there's many other things you can think about. Where can I serve? And I already mentioned, you know, some of those, like the bridge or bread of life or different clubs or neighborhood associations. Uh, there's once you start trying to think of, of things, there's a lot of opportunity out there for willing to take the time. Build relationships with people who don't know Jesus and, and love on them. And like I mentioned, just think, how can I take these conversations from casual to meaningful to spiritual discovery and hopefully bring someone to a Bible study? Know Jesus' parables and his teachings. It would be amazing to like have Jesus' parables memorized as I've been thinking about this and be able to like throw them into different conversations. If we don't know Jesus' teachings and his parables, we won't be able to, to inject them into conversations. So we've, we've got to do this study. We've got to know these. And as we start actually sharing them with other people, they actually become more ingrained in our hearts and our own minds. It's not meant, it's meant to be shared. Jesus is meant to be shared. And then be watchful. So consider every moment of your day as, as a possible ministry experience um, and walk by the Spirit. Because I found that most of the times when amazing things have happened in a conversation, I was not at all expecting it. And maybe maybe I have time to, to share one story that some of you have heard. But So I, I went to do an auto repair job, and I was kind of grumpy because it was so far away, and I didn't think I was going to make a lot of money. I wasn't in a good mind space necessarily, so all glory to God on this one. Uh, but I, as I got to the place, I started working on his truck, and he, he was really... Friendly, he brought his dog out and came up to me, and he just sort of stood there and watched, all puzzled. And I scratched the dog and said, "Hey, this dog!" And he just looked at. He looked at me. He looked kind of, I don't know, but strange. I didn't know what was going on, but he took his dog back in, and he became really friendly after that. As I did the job, and you know, tried to do a great job. I wasn't thinking about doing evangelism or reaching out to this guy at all, to be honest. It was a surprise. He comes up to me to pay, and he's just getting all emotional, and he said, there's something really different about you. My dog barks at everybody. Not, my dog barks at every stranger that's come here. He didn't bark at you. Said, okay. And he, he actually asked, like, do you know Jesus? Or, yeah, are you a believer in Jesus? And I think he has some relationship with Jesus, but... I was like, yes, and he got, he got more and more emotional, and so I asked him if there's a way that I can pray for him, if there's something he's struggling with, and there was something really big in his life. I got to pray for him, and he he's giving me all kinds of references and calls me up, and he's so extremely grateful for that experience. And I didn't, it wasn't anything that I did. It, it was God just working in that moment. So we need to be ready, walking by the Spirit, because any moment when we're not expecting it, it could it could happen that we have the opportunity to speak Jesus. When I was able to to speak about Jesus and how that He cares for the birds and how we're not to be anxious, but to seek His kingdom first and His righteousness, and these things will be added. And that really spoke to Him at that moment. And I've seen that that particular teaching speak in other situations. So these teachings are, are powerful. Just bring them into the conversation. All right. Count the cost. Um, it's going to bring witnessing to Jesus among sinners at some point will bring opposition and ridicule against you. It's, it's not always going to be easy. 
be ready to be mocked. And before you go to interact with sinners, you must know how to say no to temptation. Jesus went through that process. He said no to temptation. If you're not ready to say no to temptation and the sins as they might pop up as you're interacting with these people, you're not ready to go out there and do that. You must be prepared and be solid, healthy Christian to do this. Don't, obviously, again, have genuine relationships, but don't engage in any of their sinful behavior. You're different. If at, At the point where you start to engage in their in their sins, you have messed up. You have botched it. Like You are not a witness to Jesus at that point. That is, that is a failure. You just need to repent and walk away and make sure you're ready. Um, also, don't continue to spend time with people that are just unreceptive um, and who may even influence you wrongly. So there, there's a good time to cut off these relationships. Um, you're there for a purpose. You're there to love them, but we don't want to cast our pearls before swine or be in situations that aren't healthy for us. So there's a lot of wisdom needed. So, yeah, in conclusion, let's seek to imitate Jesus and everything. Try to be like him and seek the lost, seek to point them to the Father on behalf of Jesus. Let's be that royal priesthood. Um, Jesus is worthy because he sacrificed everything for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that you received me back when I was a sinner. And when I was lost, you had compassion on me and mercy, and you transformed my life. We all have that testimony. We're grateful for that. I pray that, that we could look with eyes that see the lost around us and also have the same compassion that Jesus had, that our interactions with them would be intentional, that we would be constantly pointing them to Jesus, the one who can heal their lives, one who can transform them, who can make them go from lost to found, who can make them go from dead to alive, and that we would long for these celebrations of repentance um, in our congregation and among the people reaching out to. Help us to be intentional with our time. Um, There's sacrifice involved in in this mission, but we want to be faithful priesthood, representing you to this world as faithful ambassadors for you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.